On the agenda today, City Manager Mark Jinks. We're coming to you from the Orinoco Bay Conference Room in ALX Community, and we're joined by the man who holds the world record for appearances at Agenda Alexandria, the man who has forgotten more about the city budget than anybody else will ever know. He's retiring from office, although we're hoping we can persuade him to stick around and continuing appearing on our panels at Agenda Alexandria. Mark Jinks, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here, Mike. So I'm going to start uh, with the, the big question here. Tell us about yourself. Where were you born? Uh, born in western New York, uh, near Buffalo, uh, where you get lake effect snow, and uh, on a uh, edge of suburbia, one foot on a farm, one foot in suburbia, uh, raised cattle, uh, was a good 4-H'er, and uh, that was 10 years of my life, and then moved to a college town in central Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, basically grew up there, went to college there, and uh, escaped Happy Valley, as they call that place, and then went to work for the state of Michigan in 1976. Did you say you raised cattle? Cattle. So you're an Eight actual, cows. you're a cowboy. No, I wouldn't say cowboy. I, I had dairy cows and uh, beef. And what about your um, educational background? Uh, I have a, a bachelor's degree and master's degree from Penn State. In, in political science first and the latter in public administration. And so you say you went to work for the state of Michigan. This was your first gig out of graduate school. That's right. The economy had tanked. Remember 1976, the gas crisis, inflation. Uh, and so went where the jobs uh, were and I ended up at the state of Michigan and worked uh, there for about two years. What did you do at Mich in the state of Michigan? I worked coordinating the capital program for the Michigan Department of Mental Health. N now, this was sort of your first gig out of graduate school. Why go into public service? I mean, of all the many things that someone of your abilities could go into, why work for, this, for a state government? Uh, uh, working for government and public service has been in my blood from uh, when I was probably eight years old and Kennedy administration took office and, uh, you know, uh, President Kennedy said, you know, ask now the country, can you do for you what you can do for the country? And some reason the new administration in Washington that clicked, it was the beginning of the, to the rest of the country, it was the beginning of the kind of visibility of the civil rights movement. Um, and so politics and government uh, and making things better in life was something I just thought I really wanted to do that. And so that was kind of my purpose. And I ended up uh, first working in state government and then uh, in Northern Virginia working for about f uh, 43 years now. So your first gig in Northern Virginia was in Arlington, right? Tell That's us about correct. that. I started in Arlington in their budget office, which is a great place to learn how government operates. Uh, you get to see every part of the government operation in detail, and you get to see policy get set, uh, in that case, by the elected county board. And I had uh, uh, very good mentors at the time. Uh, and I figure there are about a dozen city managers that eventually came out of that uh, shop over really? a 15-year period. Like who? Uh, well, to the Arlington County managers, Barbara Donellan and Ron Carley came out of there. The recently retired manager, Sterling Cheatham in Wilmington, North Carolina, the current former uh, city manager of Durham, North Carolina, the current city manager of Harrisonburg, and several in uh, Florida, New Jersey. 
So it was a good place to learn. Northern Virginia elects good elected officials because people in Northern Virginia, uh, they understand government, they understand process, they understand setting good policy. Uh, and as a result, uh, they tend to have a high standard for their government. And that means the government employees had better be on their toes. When you have the national expert who wrote the regulations on a particular subject that you're working on come in and testify uh, to your elected leaders and say, this is what you ought to be doing, you uh, better know uh, all the details of how things work and have figured out the best way to get that, uh, solve the problem. So it was former city manager Vola Lawson who brought you from Arlington to Alexandria, right? Tell us about that. That's right. Uh, Arlington and Alexandria have worked closely for a, for a long time. Alexandria had for a uh, probably for a decade or more a very strong chief financial officer, a guy named Mark Gatton, and he and I uh, grew to be friends uh, and good uh, work associates. Uh, and when he uh, moved on, Vola uh, came and talked to me, and I initially wasn't interested. Uh, but then Arlington still has an elected commissioner and treasurer. And I was the CFO of Arlington, and I spent a third of my time refereeing fights between two elected officials, the commissioner of revenue who assessed and the treasurer who taxed uh, and uh, collected taxes. And they were, were those both, both elected people. officials? Yes. Yeah. And they still are. Uh, Alexandria basically created a professional uh, under the uh, city manager a finance department decades and decades ago. Uh, and so those are administrative offices that you work, uh, work for you. Uh, and that was a, uh, an enticement. Plus, um, the CFO in, in Alexandria at the time uh, managed the IT department. And that to me was a challenge because IT had been never a, uh, an, ent an entity that I'd had a good relationship with. And I thought there's no better way to improve upon that than be responsible for what uh, IT produces. So, so those are the two primary reasons. I uh, came to Alexandria in addition to its, its uh, uh, good reputation, and it's uh, about as interesting a community in Northern Virginia as you can get. Well, now, you mentioned earlier that there is a lot of similarity between Arlington and Alexandria. Uh, as someone who has seen the inside of both of these governments, how would you describe them, their similarities and their differences? Like what is sort of different, especially about the government operations of Arlington versus Alexandria? Well, you have the elected official, finance official difference uh, in Arlington. The elected governing bodies, they're all at large, both jurisdictions, so that's uh, very similar. Uh, they tend to have long serving officials uh, in both jurisdictions and uh, uh, as well as some turnover, so you get some kind of fresh eyes in the organization. They're both, as most of Virginia is, uh, professional uh, city-county manager form of governments, uh, so that the civil service pervades as opposed to politics. The, so they're very similar. What is different is the makeup of the community in regards to Arlington is largely single-family detached. Uh, they got some areas of, of multifamily. They were very smart back in the 1970s and upzoned uh, what was going to be their subway corridor. And as a result, you have the Roslyn Boston corridor and you have the Pentagon Crystal City corridor, uh, which are nationally have been over the years said that's the way you do transit oriented development. Uh, but it, the rest of the community, our Arlington community, is relatively uh, low, low density and suburban. 
Alexandria is urban. Uh, we've been as Arlington was really used to be called Alexandria County. Uh, and they were really rural until the 1930s, until the Roosevelt administration and until World War II. Uh, Alexandria was urban in 1749, uh, and so there's a lot more. There was a dairy farm in Arlington until that period that you're talking about, right? I, yeah. I believe that's, I wouldn't be surprised at all mm -hmm. if, that would, if that was the case. So Alexandria is, is urban. It has a, a long history, a, a history that is both good and history that's both to be ashamed of. Um, and so Arlington's history is relatively new. Uh, I think the... The black community in Alexandria is much more a part of the fabric of decision-making and part of the community and has been for a very long period of time. Uh, however, both governments are good government-oriented. They're looking to do the right thing, hire the best staff. And I think over time, regardless of, of whether you had an R or D after the name of the elected official, they were looking to what's the best long-term thing to do for the community. So you came over to Alexandria, and what was that year that Vola uh, poached you from Arlington? 1999. 1999, okay. And so tell us about your job when you first came to Alexandria City Hall. Were you working in budget finance? I was the chief financial officer, so I oversaw the finance department, the budget shop, uh, the ID department, uh, real estate assessments were basically my primary duties. And then at one point, very soon, uh, into my administration, uh, the city manager came into my office, which she didn't do very often. And she said, you know something about affordable housing, don't you? And so I was then assigned to deal with affordable housing and the housing authority. And it's because the city and the housing authority were at odds with each other for 15 years over the redevelopment of what is now Chatham Square. And so I was tasked with figuring it out, which along with um, the staff at ARHA and the Tenants Association and the neighborhood. It took us a few years, but we figured it out and it ended up being National Home Builders Association Project of the Year. And partly because it's finance, it's a good portion of how you're successful with affordable housing. That became part of my portfolio as well. So Vola Lawson was looking to solve this problem, which was thorny and complex. And she said, Mark Jenks is the guy to fix it, right? Um, and you created this thing, Chatham Square, which I think a lot of people in Alexandria sort of already are familiar with, but it was sort of visionary and forward-looking for its time, right? What was different about Chatham Square? What was different? It was uh, integrating public housing and for sale housing. You know, a lot of places in the country have tried to integrate market rate rental with public housing or affordable rental. Uh, that's been a model. It's been done in lots of places. But it was very rare uh, that somebody would say, but I have a townhouse. The price then might have been a million. Now it's a million and a half right next door to public housing. Uh, and to this day, if you drive through there, drive by, you cannot tell the difference between what's affordable housing and what is uh, basically owned by the people that, uh, that live there. And that was a new concept when it was created, right? I mean, that, that, Relative, that really had not really been seen in our region. Yeah, it was... Uh, EYA, which is the developer, took a risk, which is a company they've been willing to do over time to take on tough ideas, and tough projects. Uh, and the design had to fit within uh, Old Town. Uh, so it had to uh, look like it fit here. Uh, and the tension was the housing authority wanted to have a majority of the units that were built, a third of the units were built rather, be public housing. So 52 units. There were 100 public housing units on that site to begin with. 
and they wanted a uh, majority of that site to be public housing, or a majority of the public housing they had to be on that site. And there was a whole argument about density and should there be that great a percentage of public housing. And the city had been saying no. Uh, the housing authority had been saying yes. Um, and so we found a compromise and got everybody. There had been a lawsuit by the Tenants Association that I helped sa settle and come to a, a, an agreement with them. Uh, and then we placed 48 of the new housing units were built in the west end of the city on sites that uh, two of the three sites we had to buy. Uh, the city was involved financially, we were involved in the land use side, and involved in just kind of every step of the process. And since then, Arha has completed something very similar uh, around the near the Braddock Metro Station, uh, where near the Charles Houston Recreation Center, where that development is a mix of public housing and housing that's owned by the occupants. So that expanded your portfolio beyond sort of budget and finance to affordable housing and all the many things that surrounded that. But I think most people before you became city manager saw you as a, a money guy, right? Finances. Um, explain that. Like, is I, I was joking at the top of the show that you've forgotten more about the budget than anyone else has ever known. And, and I have the feeling if I were to quiz you about budget line items that you could tick off the actual numbers. What is it about the budget that you find so interesting? Well, the budget is the, as uh, Mayor Wilson would say, uh, and as Mayor Yule said before him, and Mayor Silverberg, the most important thing city council does in a year. Uh, that's when they set priorities for the city. That's when they determine how much money the school board has. That's when they determine how many police officers there are or whether or not social services is going to get more money for foster care or for home care for the elderly. The annual budget process is how you set priorities. I've always looked at budgeting as a way of accomplishing your government's mission. It's not a control process. It's a process of trying to marry the priorities and long-term uh, goals and plans of a community and make it real. One of the things that's different now about the city is our land use plans used not to have an implementation chapter. They used to say, this is what we'd like to do in a neighborhood. This is what we'd like to achieve all these public goods and it would be fairly silent. And now there is a chapter in every, uh, all the major land use plans that are done that says, this is how we're gonna pay for it. This is what the developer contributions are gonna need to be. This is uh, Potomac Area Metro Station is an example of where uh, when that was put together, it basically said the developers in the North Potomac Yard plan needed to kick in uh, you know, so much per square foot to help pay for that station, part of that station. And we also had a plan of finance for the station of using the taxes that were going to be raised and levied by the new developments there and use those uh, to help pay for the station. So that part of what I looked at was how do you take what there is somebody's vision and turn it into reality? And the best way to do that is with money. So in your time as a senior government official before you came, became city manager, you worked under a number of city managers, four, I think, if I got that right. Um, describe, not necessarily them personally, but different working styles. Like what kinds of, what different leadership styles did you observe before you became city manager? Uh, some city managers, uh, and I worked with four city managers, four county managers in Arlington. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing from eight. Mm -hmm. Eight, okay. Eight good. in my mm -hmm. career. Some were micromanagers, uh, wanted to basically control the, uh, the details. 
uh, and some were basically delegated most everything uh, and uh, expected. Do you find that, that one of those is better modeled than the other? I tend to lean towards more of the delegation, uh, but there's some things that need to be held uh, uh, closer or where you create an accountability system that somebody else is doing it, but you want to make sure uh, that it's getting done. And those are the, the items that are a priority to the community um, and items to which the uh, I have a special expertise in basically project finance to like the Landmark Mall, like the Potomac Garden Metro Station. So those projects I kept, I kept closer uh, because I was able to basically provide the uh, kind of not only the leadership, but uh, work through all the, a lot of the technical details. However, I think most department heads in the city would say they have work plans. We have high expectations of getting things done, getting them done right, getting them done on time. The means and methods of getting it done are really up to that department head for the most part to figure out. Well, you just mentioned two things that I think will be part of the Mark Jinx legacy, which is the Potomac Yard Metro Station and Landmark Mall. Um, so talk about that metro station. I know that that was discussed and planned and thought about for years and years and years, and it was a heavy lift to make it happen, right? Talk about that arc there between the idea that people had in their head about putting a metro station there to actually having a shovel in the ground. It was a long arc, uh, 15 years worth. Uh, Councilman uh, Rapika and Councilman Wilson basically were interested in the metro station. And they basically they said, are we crazy? Can we afford this thing? <laughs> were they crazy? No. Well, they were maybe <laughs> like they didn't know what they were getting into. What a long journey it's been. And, uh, and they, once we got into the details, what the price of the station was. Uh, now, explain that. Why was it a long journey? Like what made it complicated? Or environmental impact statement process, which is a requirement of the federal government made it a very long process. Uh, the station is also, uh, the National Park Service also was a participant in the process because the station is in, in the scenic easement and it's a little bit of the property. The Park Service, it's, it's in the view shed of the GW Parkway. Uh, and the National Park Service, are their goal, when people see open space in a park, probably they're going like, what, what can we build on it? So the Park Service is very possessive, as they should be, of their parkland. And so in putting a, a metro station where it uh, needed to be uh, was a challenge, and it meant the part, working with the Park Service. They have their processes uh, and their requirements. And so between that and the environmental impact statement process, uh, that took us many more years than really was warranted. The, the environmental impact statement process uh, has many bureaucratic steps in it that are really unnecessary that just add to costs of projects and don't add value. It has some things that add a lot of value. It's just sorting out uh, and re-engineering that process would be something the federal government uh, ought to do. So that was the really the longest part of it. Um, however, uh, the uh, we had a willing developers because of the value they got out of it, willing to pay. The Regional Transportation Authority was created and they put up almost $70 million to help with the station. Um, and then we were successful in getting Amazon to come to the city, come to Arlington and Virginia Tech to come to the city as part of that deal. And we got $50 million from the state there. So basically we cobbled together uh, some large pieces of funding coupled with our own tax revenues from generated from that station and property 
were able to put together a financing plan that, that, that kept up with the increasing costs. Uh, so it is, uh, the construction has been, knock on wood, the easier part of this, of this whole process. I would imagine there's probably different kinds of challenges to building a metro station on an existing line versus like extending the blue line you know, beyond the last station and creating a, yeah. the, I, I would imagine that would be easier, like expanding much, the blue it's line. It's much easier when you're greenfielding something rather mm -hmm. than when you're having, you know, every 90 seconds a train go by. And there's a CSX train quarter and VRE and Amtrak all running right next to the station. So it, it is a big challenge. Uh, there's only been one infill station built in the entire metro system. The metro system has over 100 stations. New York Avenue? It's Noma Gallaudet's what it's now called. Mm -hmm. That was built with a federal earmark almost entirely, uh, $90 million, and it was somewhat over $100 million to build. Uh, in our case, we had no federal earmarks. were dead at that time. We basically had to build this one on our own. Uh, and in regards to building the financing and all the pieces and how it was going to work, because uh, it was the federal government really wasn't there to help. How did you build the financing for it? The well, the increment of the tax revenues that would be produced by station development, the developer contribution. Uh, we had a special tax district for the northern two thirds of the of the, of the site that for thirty years will uh, produce uh, added tax revenues, and then. Uh, when the Regional Transportation Authority came forward, we went forward and scored one of the highest in their initial proposals for transportation in regards to the value of project to the region with that station. Uh, working with DRPT, uh, we ended up with a very low cost $50 million loan from the state. Uh, they've done very few of those. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a, a layer cake. You know, you have your foundation, and now that's not enough. You had another layer, another layer of different kinds of financing, different kinds of money. You just kind of make sure it's, it, it keeps consistent with what your costs of the station are. And so far, we're, uh, things are going okay. Now, you also mentioned another project that has Mark Jinks written all over it, which is the redevelopment of Landmark Mall. Now, as long as you've been working in the city of Alexandria, there has been talk of redeveloping that property, right? Over and over and over again, it seems like there, there was a plan and it fell apart. And then there was another plan and it fell apart. And there was another plan and it fell apart. Um, what was it about that redevelopment that had so much turnover over all that time? Well, it's been 17 years since the uh, first meeting I went to that, that talked about how you redevelop uh, Landmark Mall. It had uh, ownership of three different retail entities. Of each owned about a third of the site. It's 50-some acres. And uh, that ownership was trying to put a new mall uh, redevelopment together. At the time, retail was, and department stores were dying. Uh, Sears uh, is still in their uh, kind of fatal uh, crash to the bottom. Uh, and as far as uh, their store nationally, uh, Hex is no longer in business. Woodward Lothrop is no longer in business. Lord and Taylor is in bankruptcy or about out of business. So, and that has been a, not happens all at once. It's been just kind of a gradual eroding of their position. None of those uh, landowners were developers. They were department store operators. Development was something they kind of did on the side occasionally. So they re didn't really know how to do it. And so, so that was really our biggest problem. The second part was you'd have to basically build the infrastructure for a small city. And most developers, they come in, 
and you've got the streets in place, you've got the trunk sewers in place, you've got every, most everything you need except the on-site infrastructure. In this case, you had to build that from scratch. And from day one, we said the public basically needed to provide uh, some of that uh, through tax income and financing. And the question over time has really been how much and how much was a fair return for the developer and a fair uh, deal for the city. And we think that we finally got there. So we talked about your history with the budget and finances. We talked about Chatham Square. We talked about the Potomac Yard Metro. We talked about landmark redevelopment. What else would would you say is part of your legacy? Uh, affordable housing. Uh, we talked a little earlier about Chatham Square. Uh, in my career, first in Arlington and then in Alexandria, I've helped develop or preserve 3,000 units of affordable housing which is most of what the city has done over the last 20 years and a chunk of what Arlington did the, uh, the last uh, 10 years when I was working on affordable housing there. Uh, so I think that's a big legacy. I think we've uh, got a better governmental organization. I think we're, uh, Alexandria has, uh, I've said when I came manager, Alexandria used to be the center of Northern Virginia. That's where all the political power was. Uh, that's where the center of the whole region was. That's no longer the case. We're, we're a much smaller player in the region now. And I've said, I came manager to staff and to council, we need to punch above our weight. We need to go into a regional meeting knowing more than anybody else in the room. We need to bring new ideas in. And I told departments, you go to the heads, you go to those COG meetings, you speak up, you take leadership roles. That's the way Alexandria is going to kind of make sure that our views are heard in the region and that our interests are taken care of. And that's largely worked. And, uh, uh, we've made major changes. Our housing office has gone from, under my leadership, basically uh, one 20 years ago that was doing um, home ownership, uh, was not doing any multifamily affordable housing to what uh, somebody who looks at this stuff nationally said, we have one of the better and most innovative housing offices in the D.C. region uh, right now. Our uh, code administration uh, used to be called code enforcement. And they had, under several prior directors, a gotcha mentality. And it was, the, it was the city's reputation for taking too long and saying no too many times was the worst in the region. And we've now turned that around where during COVID, I've had developers say, you know, we don't like what you say, guys say to sometimes because you make us do things more than other places. But we know you're there, you, we know you're reasonable, and we know your turnaround times are among the best there are. So uh, we have basically uh, turned code administration, what's now called code administration. We have a small business facilitator, help small businesses get in. When somebody's starting a retail store, they don't know anything about a sprinkler system and, and uh, fire code requirements. Uh, we help them through that because uh, that, helps, that helps the city. So that's another area where we've made uh, major improvements. We've also, under uh, Chief Brown, we started in on 21st century policing uh, and made uh, significant changes in that front. Data transparency, we probably have released and released earlier more uh, data on, uh, in the police area on arrests and traffic stops than anybody else. We were the first government in the region to do a pay equity analysis of our, our, our workforce, and we were at you know, the national average is like 79% when they compared to men. It's 94% for the city government when we measured it. And on the executive level, women made more than men. Um, 
So we have created a good organization. I've got the most diverse set of department heads uh, in uh, that the city's ever had. And the three deputy city managers are all women. And I don't think at the second level of command is in a city or county manager's office in this region, in a large jurisdiction, anywhere else you find it. So you made the decision to retire. Talk about the timing there. Why now? Uh, I'm going to be 70 next year. Uh, we've got Landmark is basically the sales are set. It's going to take uh, a number of years for you to see progress. Uh, and then uh, six more years beyond that until you actually see buildings you can go visit, you know, occupy a hospital you can use. Uh, but we've got the, the basic framework agreements uh, all done. Uh, Potomac Guard Metro Station will be open in 2022. And this job requires a, a, your 24 seven. Uh, you've got to be ready to talk to anybody uh, at any, uh, any time of the day. It's usually not at night. And it, it is a very demanding job. And a lot of uh, kind of things I've been interested in uh, just haven't gotten attended to. Uh, I've got a pile of books I haven't read. I've got uh, countries I haven't visited. Uh, and I've got, uh, uh, I think this is time for me to basically, uh, I've done a little bit of teaching in my career, but do, do more of that, do some writing, do some consulting, kind of take what I've learned and pass it on to the next generation. Special thanks to ALX Community for providing the space to record this conversation and to Emily Arndt for helping produce this program. This program is made possible by members like you. Please consider becoming a member today by visiting agendaalexandria.org.